Welcome to another powerful message from One Life OK. We really hope you enjoy it. I want to start out with something Cece said in her word on, don't know that day either, um, last week, the puppet strings word. That's what, the, this is what she said, the place where harm is redeemed paves the way for majesty. So I want us to embrace the thought of that today, that um, that forever the enemy can at best can only counterfeit what God's doing. And, you know, just us as humans, we're a little more attracted to fear than we are to promise. And, you know, I would I will say that that is really the heart that behind what I do is that I can help you um, totally rid your life of fear. You know, the Holy Spirit told me yesterday part of what we're going to be doing in 2023 is um, we're going to choose between battling or building. You either battle or you build. You can't do both. And Part of the reason why we like to battle is the religious spirit, is the orphan spirit. You know, the orphan spirit loves to work or think it has to work or it doesn't want to work. There's just two sides of that for whatever. It doesn't understand about provision at all. And so it either works really hard through over-responsibility and then gets frustrated with outcome. You know, we have this a lot in our business. So um, Phil, he went to work for a lady the other day, and so she was needing some vanity or something. So she called me, and I gave her Pam's number. And she called Pam, and Pam said, we would absolutely, we can help you with that. And, you know, we're just a little bit out. And when Pam said that, she just started cussing Pam out and just hung up on Pam. And I said, thank you, Phil, for that. And, um, <laughs> and discerning of spirits was not evident there right now. I'm just kidding. But that the thought of, I thought, well, we just had that. Like she just wanted, I guess something else. Right. Well, what even made me laugh even harder was two days later, she called and left another message on my phone, but she said, I don't even remember if this is the right number, but if this is Daniel, then call me. And I was thinking, no, you're, you're not getting Daniel and you're not getting the call back. So I, Pam said, can we find out Daniel's name and call and warn him? And so, but that prompted me. I know my brain is weird to you, but my, it prompted me to look into Daniel. And so it reminded me of what I think, I don't know. I feel like someone in this room and I think it was Cece and I think it was in the last few weeks I don't know. I'm not going to any quotations. Um, uh, Talked about Daniel somewhere. Seven? Great. But I went to Daniel 12. And listen to this. This is my end-time theology for you, okay? My eschatology. You want to know it? This is the one I'm going to live by. You can pick those other ones. And I watched all those movies by Hal Lindsey. Lindsey Smith? Hal Lindsey, yeah. I knew I could turn to Colleen and Gwen because they watched them too. And... (laughs) And we we sat, you know, waiting for Jesus to do what they said he was going to do. And we waited for that white man with the Russian accent to be the Antichrist because that's clearly who it was going to be. Right? Come on. 
And that it took a while to remove that out of me because my orphan mindset liked it. My orphan mindset said, well, yeah, but this is really my eschatology here. And the title in the message version, since it's not in the Passion, I like to read it in the message because it makes me laugh. And this is a humorous day, right? Yes. I wish I could tell you all the stuff I was laughing about because it was funny. But the title of this chapter is The Worst Trouble the World Has Ever Seen. And I don't know if you know it, but we're in it. How are you doing in it? How many feel like they're thriving? Anybody feel like they're fearing? Oh, oh, Haley's not. Oh, look, Haley and Bailey are both on the feet. Y'all sit beside each other. Then you can bookend each other there. So let me help you with your theology, okay? It says, and then when Michael, the great angel prince, champion of your people, he will step in. It will be a time of trouble. The worst trouble the world has ever seen. But... Turn to Haley and Bailey, say, but their names rhyme for a reason. They haven't figured it out yet, but I know what it is. But your people will be saved from the trouble. Oh, y'all should have got way more. Y'all were excited when you heard the Russian guy was going to be the Antichrist. I mean, get. Come on. I mean, Cece has no idea what we're even talking about. Isn't that a glorious thing? Who, who else doesn't have any idea what we're talking about? I don't know what y'all were doing, but the rest of us were getting prepared for the rapture, weren't we? We were prepared, right, with fear and trembling. But your people will be saved from the trouble, every last one of them, the ones that, whose names are written in the book. Many who have been long dead, and buried will wake up, and some to eternal life, right? Men and women who have lived wisely and well will shine brilliantly like the cloudless star-strewn night skies, and those who put others on the right path to life will glow like the stars forever. And I love it because the next verse says, Daniel, this is a secret. Shh, don't tell anybody. Because he said, Put it under lock and key until it's time because in the interim there's going to be a lot of frantic running around trying to figure out what's going on. That's what he said to Daniel. That, that is right now in the world. So where do you want to fall in that? I feel like if you could take this on as realizing that God, there's no way God would say, I'm, I've got you hiding under the shadow of my wing. His shadow of a wing is enough to protect you. And at the same time, he say, just go through hell. You know, I believe that, that our battles are supposed to be turned into building. If I, I can spend my time battling with fear, or I can spend my time focusing on why I'm here. Oh, that rhymed. So if you'll join me in the focusing on why we're here, because there will always be a counterfeit presented to you as the thing to focus on. Are you with me at all? I feel like I'm all alone. Are you with me? Anybody with me? Anybody? Okay. And the other thing God told me during worship is that he, he said, it's not possible for me to live outside my nature. 
And he said that he's authentic, he's consistent, and he's unmovable in his desire and designs. And so he can't, do you understand that because, have you been authentic in anything? Have you found authenticity? Have you? And so when someone comes and presents to you another option, now I know you're not 100% authentic in 100% of places, right? And we tend to focus on all the places we're not authentic instead of the place where I found authenticity, right? I'm just telling you, if you'd focus more on what you have discovered, that will grow. If you focus your time on what's not authentic, it will grow. So think about something that you have discovered authenticity in. Can you tell me something? In worship. So it, for Shooty, it's not playing the, the keyboard, Okay, so when someone, that's why when she hears someone say, hey, this is worship, like, hey, listen to this new album, or hey, watch this YouTube, or what is, what, how come she can discern whether it's true worship? It doesn't mean it's not good music. It doesn't mean that it's not pleasing. It's not a gonging gong. Because, but the origin and motive of true worship cannot be counterfeited. And so someone can even be singing a worship song. That's why, do you understand that it's the motive of what's in a heart. It's the same thing with a picture, right? You can draw a picture and your motive is for something different than authenticity, then the people who view it will have that experience. Right? That's why the mixture is a problem. And so today I want to talk about etiquette in the temple. What does etiquette mean? I think I have a slide for that. I wish I could punch it up here because then you could just play on YouTube or whatever you're doing back there. Just kidding. Number nine. Etiquette in the temple. What is etiquette? What does it mean? So there's a lot of different things going around, but etiquette is about a way to act. Would you agree? You know, I was 14 when my brother's girlfriend told me I didn't hold the fork right. Right? I guess I was just like, (laughs) I don't know what I was doing, right? Barbarian style of eating. Right, I wish I had a fork. Uh, throw me that pin right there. So she came and she told me that I was supposed to place it in my hand, kind of like a pencil. Kind of, right? There's lots of different ways to do it. But but what was she? I'm sure I was just, who knows? I was maybe just eating it, stabbing it and eating it. <laughs> but I was horrifically embarrassed. I, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Do you, are you feeling me right now? And so I had, it became a choice of two trees. You see it? It just became set before me. Right now, I can't remember how I used to hold the fork, so I can't, there's no comparison. But I remember in that moment, I didn't even want to do it like she said because I was embarrassed. Even though it was right, it was, it was etiquette. Even though it was right, even though it was a good thing, even, right? Are you with me? That's probably going to happen to some of you today. 
see, that's really what should be happening in a training session for leaders. I mean, if you go to work, does anybody work for anybody else? And they say, hey, I don't like it the way you're holding the fork. Are you mad? I mean, really, inside your heart, think about it for a minute. Do you want to defend why you did it this way? Well, I've been holding the fork that way because that's just the way I came to the plant. Ah, I'm just going to get that food. Do you see how we just go into instead of, thank you, I didn't even realize I was outside of etiquette. I didn't even realize there was a way. I didn't, and, and see, that's the way it is in the kingdom. I think God spends more of our time in our life trying to get old systems out of us than he can just freely be God and flow with the system he made and just have a people that would co-labor with him. We're his co-workers. Do I need to read that scripture to you again? I need a belt. Do 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 I need to read that scripture to you again? Right? We're his co workers so that means there's work to be done this life is about what he wants to reward are you with me so keeping daniel 12 we don't have to call him now in mind let's turn to psalm 15 i've read psalm 15 a lot and the title of it in the passion is living in the shining place You want to live in the shining place? We just talked about in Daniel, if you'll believe in that eschatology, that at the end of time, when everything's crazy and chaotic, quit looking at life through the lens of, well, why did that happen? Why are they sick? Why don't I have that? Why haven't they finished that? I mean, I'm sure people in our arena are like, when are you going to finish? When are you going to, you know, in our world of remodeling, why? Because in their minds, they have an inline, but they don't understand the scope. And that's the same way with God. God has an eternal reward, yes, but there is a process that he's doing in everybody's life. And that process is trying to get us to unify to his purpose. So let's read Psalm 15, shall we? This is from David. It says, Lord, who dares to dwell? I knew he was going to do that. Who dares, who who dwell to dwell? That's what I was going to say. Who dares to dwell with you? Let's ask that question. It's interesting that he described it that way. In in the voice, I think it says, who is granted passage. Um, In... And so, why is he asking that question? Think about it for a minute, because I'm wanting you to ask yourself this question. Part of David's story to me is that he was a, he was a man of great sin, but sin didn't end up mattering, because it said that God saw his heart. So that tells me that a pure-hearted person can sin and it won't matter to God because his heart continually comes back to asking God, what do I need to do to have what you say I can have? See, because David understood, well, I want to, I want to dwell with God. 
And so I want to know if there's anything. Am I holding the spoon wrong? Is there anything I'm doing? Not because God wants to whoop us. But because I want to be able to enter into the invitation of the gate without condemnation. And see, God has, if you can understand this, God has no capacity to condemn you. If you heard one condemning thought this week, I did. Did anyone hear one condemn? None of that was God, so that meant that you just entertained the devil for a second. He has a beautiful way of talking to you, and I don't know how far did you go with it. Did you immediately go, whoa, that's the devil? Because God can't even speak to me in that way, or are you like, I bet that's true about me. Right? You get into your worminess, into your smallness. Are you with me? Anybody? Did anybody? And so then, how far do you go? Is it a day? Are you still doing it right now? You know, how far do we go? Because, see, the enemy is counterfeiting everything. And so he's counterfeiting the way into the presence. He's saying, you're bad, keep repenting. Hang out at the swirl of repentance. Never enjoy the presence, repent some more. And so how many of them does he put up there? He's like, he's like a million, right? Are you with me? Who dares to dwell with you, who presumes presumes the privilege? See, these are hard words for Teresa to say clearly. Who presumes? That's better. The privilege of being close to you. It's a privilege. Why is it a privilege? Because in my humanity, I can't even be holy. I can't be. I can't be what the thing I want says needs to happen. To join up with him. Listen, think about it. In the garden, he came down to us. When sin entered, I now have to go to him. I don't know if you got that. Well, listen, let me say it another way. God made the earth for him to come and dwell, to spend time with his people. He could have made us in heaven only. Okay, but he made a circle and he stuck people in it and he told them what? Increase, inhabit, have authority, all that. And he was still interacting. That's what, that's what he wanted to do with us, right? When sin entered the world, I propose that the atmosphere of earth became filled with sin. It was no longer a place where a holy God could live. So then, since God didn't have plan B, I don't know if you know this, but we're not playing. The plan to make your vessel the temple was in place. 
so so he dwelt outward. Let me try it again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He dr- dr- are you with it? He dwelt outwardly, right? Yeah. Well, let me ask you, is out or in closer? Yeah. I would say in. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Are, are you, y'all are acting like I'm tricking you or something. Huh? <laughs> Maybe you're not even understanding what I'm saying. But he wanted to remember he if if something's inside then it's regulating. Is your heart inside? Okay, it's regulating itself, right? When you get nervous, what does it do? It, why does it speed up? Why didn't it slow down? Why? It's indicator that what? You're nervous. Right? You're you're beginning to feel unsafe. Let's just say what it is. So it's the same way. He wanted to dwell in us, right? And now, because of the Holy Spirit in Jesus, He wants to flow out of us. God Himself, right, wants to flow out of us. And so now we're seated in heavenly places. That's where He was. Okay. I don't think we got that, but that's okay. Who presumes the privilege of being close to you, living next to you in your shining place of glory? So this proves what I'm just saying. Who are those who daily dwell in the life of the Holy Spirit? And he's about to answer the question, right? These are good questions, right? Would you say these three questions are important to you? Do you want to be close to God? Do you want to be seated in heavenly places? Do you want daily here on earth for His Holy Spirit to be constantly dwelling with you? Anybody have those three desires? Well, David asked those questions for us to realize now this is the desire of us possessing a temple. This is why whenever God prescribed to build the temple, it had so many regulations, so many etiquettes. Because what was the goal for him to meet there? Let's, I know, let's have, we'll meet in the Holy of Holies, right? So do these things. That's all it was. It was just a prescribed way, right? For him to what? Meet with man. Oh, do you? Can you feel it? Can you feel that all God's ever wanted is to meet with mankind? He's never wanted to punish us. He's never been mad at us. He is incapable of being mad at you. Remember, his anger is always directed at what will what? What? That's right. Separates from love. It's always, it's not you. It's not people. And where did the separation come from? Lou. It didn't even come from you. I know you thought it. I know you thought you were horrible, wretched sinners, right? I mean, that was that great orphan mentality that kept us saved. It kept us in bondage. Don't act like something was saving you that really put you in bondage. So again, another system God's trying to get you to change your mind about so you can what? Enjoy the freedom of being with Him. And so here are the etiquettes. You ready? Those who are passionate 
and wholehearted. Always sincere, always speaking the truth. I've I've made a note of of these things. I like in the Passion version right there in verse 2, he says this Psalms gives us David's sermon on the mount. What was what does Brian Simmons mean by that? What was Jesus' sermon on the mount? Remember he said Blessed, highly favored are those who dot dot dot. It's a it's another etiquette of the kingdom. You get to do whatever you want to do. If you don't want to dwell with the king, do anything you want to do. These are all privileges of a choice. Right? If we, this is still Brian Simmons, if we dwell in the holy place, there must first be a holy place in our spirits where God dwells. God's guests must submit to the holiness that lives there. There is etiquette for God's house revealed in this psalm. It's just really simple. If you want to be with God, the Creator, do it God's way. Don't randomly pick a bunch of ways and be mad that you don't feel close to God. And so I made these six things from these verses, and you can read it more. And I looked up a bunch of stuff about it, but I, I narrowed it down to these six. It says passionate, which means unimpaired, innocent. Sound. Remember how I would I would say that describes bro such in such a perfect way. So when he has passion, he is he's unimpaired by other thoughts because he's driving home a known experience that he's just describing in song, right? Also, wholehearted, W-H-O-L-E. Remember, that means, um, that's that sh- comes from shalom. That wholeness comes from the, the experience with God in his complete peaceful state. That's why he will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is just wandering on everything that there ever was made. That's why... Part of the job for you is to constantly keep your mind on him. What happens that we don't? Like right now, is anyone thinking about God? Raise your hand if you're thinking about God. Well, cool. We're here in church. This is a place we think about God. How many later might lose a little bit because you're going to be what? Doing other things. The goal of this life is to teach yourself to involve him in as many places outside of church because this is easy. That's a muscle. And if you don't, if you're not good at it, set an alarm on your phone. Don't act like there's no way. You know, I, I have people who won't even talk about what they do with their time. So if we don't even want to talk about what I do with my time, I'm probably not having him in it. Because if he was in it, I would want to tell everybody. 
I'm just telling you. He should be involved in every um, um, thing you do in life. It's not about leaving him on the sideline and then figure, oh, God just came back to my mind. Well, what was on your mind? I was completely focused on something else. That's why how Bill says everything's worship. That's the key. That's the muscle you're expanding on. And see, since I came out of a bunch of ways to live that had nothing to do with God, I habitually do those ways and wonder why I'm not thinking about God. He may want to change more of your ways than you're thinking. You may have a lot of predetermined expectations and training that he's really, he's bumping up against. Right? Number two, sincere, which means justice or rightness. It's the weights and measures of life. What's justice to one person is, is injustice to another. That's why God has to be the standard of all things. If you don't understand God's ways, you don't understand. See, something else funny happened just right now. If you don't understand God's ways, it was Tessa that did it, just until you won't look over there. I'm just kidding. I'm just playing. You didn't. You didn't do it. It's just just been one of those days. I just need to stare at that pretty picture of Jesus back there. Jesus be my sinner. Jesus be my sinner. Jesus be my sinner. It's the weights and measures. So... It's a way to determine what's right and what's wrong, and only God can do that. Wow. Now, after I developed that muscle, see, and that's, the, that's what happened with us, with our souls. Man, they got so big so early. Go back for a minute. Think about when you were a kid and you remember manipulating to get your way. You, you remember, I know you do, you remember, who who can do that right now? Go back to your childhood. Just ask the Holy Spirit for a minute. What was really my need right there? What was it really? Yeah. Do, would you, could you say what you did and said? Or? Yeah, and so how did, what did you do to get, what's the, the memory? Yeah, so he wanted connection, and they were busy. Anybody know that? Anybody have that story? Anyone? Anyone have that story? And so, and so, because they were busy, then he said, "Well, if I'm hurt, that's what you, that's what Breezy picked. Hurt. If I'm hurt, if I need a hospital visit, I'll get me some attention. If I have pity, I feel sorry for myself. Well, now as we grow up into adulthood." You know, that is exactly Cece's dream. That's why it's so important we get this today. That it, the heart was on the backside. It was animated. It was not authentic. It was getting love through the back door. And see, that's, and see, as we grow into adulthood, we would just keep doing that. Until we come into a culture of honor. And how many remember when they first learned they don't have to manipulate? And what did you do instead? Let's just. Yeah, the first thing is to work on this inside. Did you know it says in First Corinthians we're a body of many members. That's what she's talking about. Many parts. It said, "Oh, I think I pulled it up. Let me give us a snippet." 
Yeah, it's 1 Corinthians 12. It says, this is going to be shocking to you. Some of our body parts don't even require as much attention as others. So let me help you. This is a body. And some of you that are in this body don't even need as much attention as other people in this body. I propose some of y'all who are doing those weird things for the attention are the ones that don't need it. So why did he put us in a body together? Mm -hmm. Because when I know, let me just read it to you because it's so good. He said he did this intentionally. So that each member would look after the others with mutual concern. So that there would be no division in the body. This is that chapter that talks about, you know, if you're an eye or hand or, you know, and you're all acting like, right? But the previous verses to that were how to operate in your spiritual gifts. So he said, here's the spiritual gifts and they're amazing. And here's a body I stuck you in and you can't all be the eye. You can't all be on stage. In fact, some of you that want to be on stage, you shouldn't ever be on stage. <laughs> but we, we're offended by that. And, and, and see, it was the introduction to, well, why are you comparing? You know, I love in James, he says, I love this chapter, James. Let me think. I think it's three. Let's look real quick. James three. Let's turn there real quick. We're still back on uh, Psalm. This is all free right here. Now, James, he starts talking about how um, don't be so eager to become the teacher in church. Okay? Because, you know, we who teach are held at a higher standard of judgment. Hello? And he says, we all fail in many areas, but especially with our words. Verse 6 says, the tongue is fire. Right? The tongue is fire. It says, the tongue is a small part of the body, yet it carries great fire. And in this same scripture where he talks about, our tongue shouldn't bless and curse. Well, see, that's what happens with jealousy, right? Let's look at it. It says, verse 16, where jealousy and selfish ambition exist. This is the next verses after the tongue is fire, okay? It says there's disorder. Okay, so that's how, that's how we got here. So think about the church you were at before. Was there disorder? Did you feel safe? So then God created a new body for you. Didn't he? And what's his goal? His goal is for you to feel safe and to operate with the Spirit, but his goal is also for you to identify what body part you are and not... Comparison would be totally gone. Jealousy would be totally gone. Did you know... He told me jealousy is the counterfeit of zeal. We were in here on Tuesday night and we were organizing our notebooks for I got them a bigger notebook for their songs and stuff. And so we were organizing those and um 
we started talking about we didn't have a Z named ver uh, song Z. So we started throwing around Zion and Zeal and Zealous, and so they when they got up to play, they began to play that little instrumental that I sent out the other day, and so we called that Zealous because it just sounded like that's what it needed to be named, right? And I was thinking about that, and I and when I looked up the word jealousy, it's zeal in the in the Greek. Zelos is is the name, and and jealousy has two heads. It just depends on which head you want to wear. God says He's jealous for you. It's the same word. He has zeal. He has ardent concern. He has fervent passion. It says excitement of mind, fervor of spirit, embracing, pursuing, defending. That's the kind of jealousy, the kind of zeal we're supposed to have for each other. That's why the other jealousy, which is envy, contentious, rivalry, that's why it sits right next to it. And see, everything in the kingdom is that way. The enemy made sure he put something, one counterfeit, right up against it. If you're not careful... You'll slip over into this contentious comparison. Why are they getting that? Why are they doing that? Because you're not an eye. Yeah, that's it. You don't need to hear it. You're a toe hair. Yes. Thank you, Jesus. The whole part of I mean, who, why in the church do we act like we need promotion when we haven't done anything? You don't expect that at work. You can run. Why? Why? That, that's the only place we don't do that. At work, we have no thought. If I don't even know how to plumb a faucet, I'm sure not going to. Well, no, at his work, they gave him a truck. Anyway, I, this is confusing. It's, it's the truth. Nowhere else but church do we expect to be in a position we're not qualified for and then we're jealous that we're not. Come on, all you religious people. You know I'm telling you the truth. And so it's interesting because, see, God, just like happened on Wednesday night, God highlights what's actually on his heart through our experiences. Now, Pam could have got offended that the lady cussed her out, right? But see, it led to this Daniel thing today. Why can't he lead us any way he wants? Why? If you got cussed out for doing nothing, how would you feel? Would you need to get over it? How much time do you need, babe? How much time do you need to get over it? God just used it. Why can't he? I mean, if the enemy's going to try to counterfeit everything, why can't God flip everything on its heels all the time? It says, still in James, he said, wherever jealousy and selfishness are uncovered, you'll find many troubles and every kind of meanness. 
Now, I don't think anybody in here would think they were mean. But if you're not generous, if you're jealous, if you're comparing, if you're judging, I propose James just said that's mean. Why? Why? Because I am not honoring another body part. It'd be like you looking at your finger and saying, you, I hate it that you're not a toe. No one would do that, but we do that to each other. You know, when we're stingy, let me just, let me just keep barking at you a little bit. So, you know, I've, I've, I've invested in the Huffs. You know, we sent them on a trip last year. Right? Well, I don't, I want to do better this year. I've already booked the, I already booked the hotel and, and, and y'all haven't given enough to pay for it. But you know what I said? I'll pay for it. I'm just inviting you. I'm inviting you to have a blessing. I'm not inviting you to give to them. Listen, I'm going to give whether you give or not. But when I find something that you could invest in, we're fixing to move a bunch of stuff. We bought a new camera this week. We're going to eventually move this wall out. That You're investing. Your wealth mindset is investing in expansion. Do I need to take a video and show you what all we might do? No, your face should say, hey, this, did, this place has done something for me. Right? It shouldn't be, you should be giving out of the abundance of what you've received already. Right? It's not about some sort of manipulation or guilt. It's about an actual experience that you've had. And I know it, you've changed. Trust me, you all have changed. Look at yourselves. For you're nothing like you were when you came here. There's not a single person sitting in this room right now that is anything like you were when you came. You may not be everywhere you want to be, and everything in your life may not be exactly what you want to be, but you are not the same. And see, as the Holy Spirit begins to unveil to us the moreness of Him, then He begins, like I said the other day, Let's, let's clean house a little bit. Yes. Let's just actually clean house. Let's go back to where we are in the etiquette. Psalm 15, we're still in the verses 2. The other thing he said was, uh, my six things were that you're a truth speaker. Wow. Let me help you. With firmness and sureness. Now, what is truth? What's truth? Truth is the reality of how it is. The reality of how it is is that you reap what you sow. That's the reality of how it is. That's the truth. You can worry about your money all the day long. You can hoard it, hide it, try to spit it on whatever. But the tr- reality is, we're talking about generosity this month. That's why I'm using money. But the reality is, is that your time is not your own. You know, these boys offering to come over and help us at our house. 
I don't know if mama said anything or if they said something, but they're smart. They know what generosity means. They, they didn't need mama to tell them. Because why? In their heart, they want to give back to something that they appreciate. That's generosity. They don't need to be 40 to know that. If I ask Army right now, what's it mean to be generous? He would say, I could come over and pick up your dog poop. Would that help you out? And if that doesn't help you out, can you tell me something else? Because he wanted to be generous. We just focused on that. And he said, I want to do something. Are you with me? It's not something that's so complex. I don't know if I can find it. I don't know. Is that, did God lead me to do that? So truth is something that's meant to be spoken. That's why the tongue is fire. Now in James, he talks about how that little tongue can burn up everything. Are you sharp tongue? Are you critical tongued? That's what James was talking about. He was like, just blessing, cursing, really? Like really, like you don't know God, like you're going to, you're going to hate on something. You're, you're just burnt something up. Just like our tongues can set something on fire with passion. Our our tongues can burn up a relationship. Have you ever said anything that was really ugly to anybody? The person you said it to, did they remember it? Did they come back and say, ow, why? Because all they can see is burned landscape. If I don't go in and plant new trees at the very place that I just burned it up with my little tongue, then I've just developed a reputation. Don't come back to me and say, well, I don't know why. Why they're acting like I might and they're acting like I might. Well, did you say that with your hot tongue? When you were hot? When you were mad? When you are frustrated? When you are did you say it? Well, you better go back. Uh huh. You better go back and plant some new trees with your same tongue. Truth speakers, firmness and sureness. Of course, there's other ways to speak truth. I'm speaking truth to you right now. I'm telling you, well, I've, I know right now there's some people in here that have had a hot tongue. And so you need to be thinking about going back and planting some seeds. I know you were struggling. I know you were weak. I know. But the same truth it reveal, is revealed that, hey, that's not relational. If I'm not relational as an orphan, then when I come into honor, I may have some repair to do. That's not a bad thing. You're not, you didn't hold your spoon right. That's what you were doing. That's all it was. Repair it. The other thing is trustworthy, faithful, reliable, stable. Whew. Are you trustworthy? Are you stable? Stick stable in there more. Am I stable? Can people count on me? Do I need to put a sign out on PMSing this week? Just beware. Am I stable? Am I consistent? Can people count on me? See, don't act like 
that God created the ability to be stable and you don't have to be. My, the orphan mentality is, oh, but my problem is greater than my ability to be stable. It is not. I'm telling you, if I'm telling you, if Jesus walked in the room, if the president walked in the room, if the governor, you would be all straightened up. You'd be all on your best behavior. You have the power. Don't be bringing. Why are you acting like you don't have the power with the people who know you the most? Why? What are? What is that? That's manipulation. Oh, they know I struggle. Oh, they know I'm prophet. Will not slander another. Will not backbite. No rumors or gossip. Listen, I love the culture of honor because the reality is that we, you've got stuff and you happen on people in this room and people need to work through it. That's not gossip. That's facts. That's the reality of truth. But to project how someone, I said it Wednesday night, that, well, they feel they're too busy. They feel this way about me. They feel that way about me. That's gossip. That's slandering someone saying they can't help you because they're too busy when it really was you. You know, like I said about jealousy, jealousy is real. The root of jealousy is really insecurity. It's really lack of trust. And so if the opposite of that is zeal, everybody should be a cheerleader. Listen, Shooty is the best cheerleader on the planet. I mean, I love to give her a present because it even, I could be like, here is some dog poop. She'd be like, what? 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 You gave me dog poop? Oh, my gosh. She would, that's what she would do. It's true. I have other people I give stuff to. I never hear from them. Like literally never hear from them. Well, it, she's not some special candidate of being excited. She didn't get like extra jelly beans of excitement. She chose to expand and make bigger when someone did something they didn't have to do. And see... If I'm jealous, I'll be like, well, I wonder what somebody else got. And so I'm already with fire burning up the gift. And you know what happened for her? More stuff comes to her. More stuff comes to her. People want to give to her. Not because of her enthusiasm, although that's fun. But because she has a heart of gratefulness, it actually attracts people to be good. It's not something we sat down and I said, now listen, I got a key to life. Like I'm doing to you right now. I didn't do that to her. If you want to get a lot of presents, be really excited. No, I taught her how to worship. Number five, you will speak out passionately against evil. Remember, Pam, evil exists. 
What is evil? I propose it's really simple. Anything that comes against your purpose, that's evil. You know, I cannot tell you weirdly how many people, even in my own family, have spoken against me. And I don't even talk to them, so I don't even know what the deal is. We were laughing, I think, yesterday about one time somebody left the Three Witches book on our doorstep and said, y'all are three witches. I'm like, I don't even know who this is or what that means. We've had people, I've had people say stuff. It's weird because it doesn't make any sense. Because why? That's inside them. So when I hear it, it has no, it, it doesn't land anywhere on here. So I don't know what effect they were trying to produce on me. Come on, y'all, don't, y'all are looking too serious right now. Um, I'll bring you three witch books later. Listen. <laughs> It's not a big deal. Listen, it's not serious. Yeah, right? What? In church? I know. No, listen. It doesn't, do you understand? It doesn't penetrate because there's nothing in me. I immediately know it's them. You've got to get to that point to where you realize walking in the power of the anointing is actually going to attract the counterfeit. And if you're so weak that you hear it and you're like, oh my gosh, I hope I'm not doing anything that, that would make someone think I'm doing it. You've just run down the wrong road. You're, it's a dead end down there. And you know what's weird? They won't even be down there. They just dropped it off at the intersection and you ran on down. What's down here? Well, i got to go run down here and see what's down here. There's nothing down there. Right? So you got to speak out passionately against it. When you hear something that you know is not true about something, say it. Oh, I don't think that's true about that. I think you need to ask a few more questions, find out a little bit more information. Can you do that? Honor and commend those who live by truth. That's what, that's what I'm doing up here. I'm not saying Shooty's perfect or bro's perfect and you're not. I'm not even saying they're the standard. I'm just pointing out and I'm commending some things in their lives that I know have changed in them. Saying they did some hard stuff right here. They wallowed around on the ground while I was telling them. Right? And they, they heard some hard truth and they didn't say, well, why is she telling me I'm holding my spoon wrong? I'm sure it didn't feel good. I mean, bro, he demonstrated it. He wrote, literally rolled around the floor. It wasn't feeling good. But see, I was telling him over and over, you're holding your spoon wrong. You're holding your spoon wrong. It's not a big deal. It's not fatal, but you're holding your spoon wrong. You're looking like an idiot. Really? I mean, don't you want to know? I'm acting like I can presume to walk into the presence of God. And I don't even know the etiquette to be here. Who dares to dwell with you, God? Who presumes the privilege of being close to you, living next to you in your shining place of glory? Who are those who daily dwell in the life of the Holy Spirit? They are passionate and wholehearted, always sincere, always speaking truth. For their hearts are trustworthy. They refuse to slander or insult others. They'll never listen to gossip or rumors, nor will they ever harm another with their words. 
They will speak out passionately against evil and evil workers while commending the faithful ones who follow after the truth. They make firm commitments and follow through even at great cost. They never crush others with exploitation or abuse. And they would never be bought with a bribe against the innocent. And they will never be shaken. And they will stand firm forever. I want to end with Psalms 101. It says, Lord, I will sing about your faithful love for me. My song of praise will have your justice as its theme. I'm trying my best to walk in the way of integrity, especially in my own home, but I need your help. I'm wondering, Lord, will you appear? I refuse to gaze on that which is vulgar. I despise what is evil and anything that moves my heart away from you. I will not let evil hold me in this grip. Every perverse and crooked way I have put away from my heart, for I will have nothing to do with the deeds of darkness. I will silence those who secretly want to slander my friends, and I will not tolerate the proud and arrogant. My innermost circle will only be those whom I know are pure and godly. They will be the ones, the only ones, I allow to minister to me. There's no room in my home for hypocrites. I will not stand for chronic liars who flatter and deceive. At each and every sunrise, I will awake to do what's right and put to silence those who love wickedness, freeing God's people from their evil grip. And I will do all of this because of my great love for you. That's truly the etiquette of the temple. Come on, Mendel. So good. Oh, I love this series, even though this is technically only part two. You know, we've been on it all year, pretty much. One way or another. What does it mean to be a temple? I love, love, love this series. Such a good, good message, Tisa. I love the idea that, you know, we have, we, we hear these ideas and we're like, oh, cool. Yes, that's me. I want to be that. But then how, the how to, one of the things I love about this house is we really try to get into making it practical. And what does that look like instead of just being a lofty goal? And so um, I, I have something I want to share to help kind of frame this just another, an, an additional way. Okay. That I feel like the Holy Spirit wants me to share. I'm going to do my best to try to, to try to share it in a way that's understandable and relatable. Um, it kind of sounds, it feels really deep to me on one level, but then you know how the Holy Spirit is sometimes it's like he reveals these things to you and you're like, Oh, that's so deep. And then a minute later, you're like, that should be obvious. That should be my normal. And then a minute later, it's like, that's so deep. You know, you're squinting to try to get your mind around it. So I'm going to try to share this, but you'll know where kind of how deep it can be just because I'm going to say that I was been listening to a teaching by Brian Simmons on the book of Revelation. As you remember, he told me, he showed me that verse in Revelation 4 about the green light around the throne. So that was really highlighted to me. So I've been diving into the book of Revelation. And so I've just been listening to a teaching from Brian Simmons just to frame the book of Revelation. And, um, 
so one of the things that was highlighted to me in this teaching that that struck me was the idea that you remember when Jesus was on the earth and he told the Pharisees and everybody that I will I will tear down the temple, right? And I will rebuild it again in three days. And so they basically crucified him because of that, you know, they and all the other things that he had said and done. And so um, what did it mean when he would raise, raise it up again in three days? It was his body, right? He was the temple. And so he was the temple that was resurrected in three days, and it was his body. And what are we? We are his body. So this is a connecting point to me about what does it mean to be the temple is that, okay, I'm part of Jesus's body, which is the temple. And so that points to the revealing of Jesus, right? To truly be a temple means the temple would be displaying Jesus. And so if you've seen Brian Simmons' translation of the book of Revelation, he calls it the unveiling of Jesus Christ. That's really what, it's the reveal, right? And it's that the unveiling, which of course points to the tearing of the veil that took place when Jesus um, died on the cross. And so, so this, this framed this in a new way for me um, about being part of the body and therefore being part of the temple because Jesus is the temple. And then I was reminded as I'm reading through scripture, you know, those verses where it says, you know, until the day of Christ Jesus, until he is revealed and we wait for his unveiling. You know, there's all these verses that talk about the day. Now, just for the record, I'm not stating a theological, you know, viewpoint. I'm just creating an illustration, okay? It's an illustration for something that I feel like the Holy Spirit is wanting to help us frame what we're on right now. So I've often wondered, and I'll, I'll get start looking, well, what is the day of Christ Jesus? You know, I didn't grow up in church, so I don't have a lot of that religious background and all of that eschatology like she talked about. So, you know, I know like Jesus is supposed to return and all that, but then there's these other verses that seem like they should apply to right now. And so I'm like, well, is now the day of Jesus Christ or is that day still coming? And in general, I would say most of the time I hear that and I hear that referred to by people and even in my own mind as a day in the future, you know, that's not yet come. And I'm recognizing that a lot of us operate, I believe, with this mindset that we're just waiting for the day, and we have a perspective about what we're doing and how we're living life based on what happens on that day. And so, of course, you know, a lot of people, you know, want to be raptured, but then there's also this thing about, well, I want to be found pleasing on that day. You know, I want to be found pure and all those things. So then we worry about preparing for the day. And I, I feel like that's really um, stolen something from us in thinking that it's a far off day. Because, you know, I mean, just in, the, in our natural minds, you know, it's hard at this age for me to think about being 90 years old because it feels like it's so far off. It's really hard for me to put action behind it today because it's hard to even imagine. It's a far off day and the other stuff seems more urgent, more urgent, you know, so stuff like that happens in our mentality. But, um, and I, and I think that 
we also, even our, our perspective of being and operating in performance and works, we think of doing outward things so that for the day, you know, like, and it's, and it's easy for us to bypass the thing that I think is actually the most important, which is the inner working, which is what's going on in here. Because Brian Simmons teaches, and if you look at it, it makes sense that the unveiling of Jesus Christ actually takes place within us. It's not just a day when the clouds part, you know, it's not just when Jesus returns to the earth. It's, it's, it happens within us because we're part of the body, which is his temple, right? And so that it, he, with his translation of the book of Revelation, he has also been teaching what he thinks may be someday considered a whole new eschatology like the, and he calls it the glorious eschatology of the glorious end times perspective. And it's really, there's a lot to all that, which I couldn't even scratch the surface on. But the idea is that, uh, that the revealing or the day of Jesus Christ being revealed is going to happen in us, which I'm reminded of different things that the Holy Spirit's told me over this past year. Um, For example, of the kingdom is advancing, the kingdom is, is advancing in me. And you have to understand there's just something about this that I don't have, I don't know the scriptures that way to have tied this all together and have said that from a place of theology. It was a place of just the Holy Spirit saying this to me. And, and he's pointing to all of this, you know, and we talked about how access to the throne room was through the inner garden. Remember, I mean, there's all this stuff that kind of makes sense that the revealing of Jesus Christ would be happening in us. And so, um, it just, I had this image then of as far as what does it mean to be a temple. In my time with him yesterday, I saw, you know, in the movies where you, these rich people back in the day had the, you know, their country estate, but then they went to the town or whatever during whatever time of year. And so all of their servants would cover all the furniture with tarps or, you know, sheets because nobody was going to be living there for a while. And I had this image that that was the state of our temple that the veil that was torn still exists in us and at different levels and in different ways. And so I felt like what I was seeing is that the revealing of Jesus Christ and the tearing of the temple is something that happens, I would say, repeatedly. You know, we, we are still veiled in, within us. We still don't know. We can't see Jesus in his fullness, and, we, and he's not seen in us. And he's not fully in operation. So he's still veiled. But of course, the veil has been torn. So it's just we haven't stepped into the fullness, right? And so to me, it just points to this is the process. So like Tisa said, it's when somebody points something out to you and you're holding the fork wrong. That's a moment where we could pull the the veil off of that part of the temple. We're pulling the veil. We're pulling that dust cloth thing off of what's covered up right now so that Jesus can be revealed to us and in us and through us more completely. And so I just wanted, I wanted to share this verse because there's so many verses um, that, like I said, that point, point to the day. And I'm not saying the day means only this. I'm just saying it's one aspect. I think that the day happens continuously. And so with this in mind, I want to read this from 1 Corinthians 1, uh, 4 through 9. 
I am always thanking my God for you because he has given you such free and open access to his grace through your union with Jesus the Messiah. In him you have been made extravagantly rich in every way. You have been endowed with a wealth of inspired utterance and the riches that come from your intimate knowledge of him. For the reality of the truth of Christ, the reality of the truth of Christ. Isn't that what we want? We want the world to know he's real. So the reality of the truth of Christ is seen among you and strengthened through your experience of him. Strengthened. So it's getting stronger and stronger and stronger. It grows stronger with every experience we have with him. That includes the moments when somebody says you're holding the fork wrong, right? In that moment, we can either reveal more of the temple, reveal him more, or we can say, no, I'm going to keep that covered up. A a quick little side note in connection to my dream last night, this, I think Shudi mentioned it, that this guy is laying on this cold table and he was disfigured. Like his, his both legs and feet and everything had shriveled up to something that was, could fit in the palm of my hand and they were folded up weird. He was missing an arm and it was very, very distorted and disfigured. And the, I looked at the guy and he said, yeah, I had him take an inch off. Like that explained it. And I'm looking at him like, I think they took more than an inch. You know, this was not just a haircut that you got. (laughs) This was major distortion and disfigurement, you know. And I think that points to, you know, we've got to remember these choices are sowing seeds and there is no neutral. There's no neutral. So you may think that your choice to leave that part of the temple covered for now, I'll deal with that later, is neutral and not going to cause anything. But that's just taking an inch off. You're saying, I'll, I'll, I'll lose an inch, but what's, what's the big deal? It's just an inch off my temple, you know? And it's, it's not just an inch because that distortion leads to another distortion and you end up looking like this guy in my dream with one decision. Our choices are not neutral. They are, they sow seeds and we will reap the, the, the harvest of those seeds that we've sown. So again, for the reality of the truth of Christ is seen among you and strengthened through your experience of him. So now you aren't lacking any spiritual gift as you eagerly await the unveiling of the Lord Jesus, the anointed one. This is one of those verses, right? As you eagerly await, we've all this going on for us. As you eagerly await the unveiling of the Lord Jesus, the anointed one, he will keep you steady and strong to the very end, making your character mature so that you will be found innocent on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. To me, those are two separate things then. You're eagerly awaiting the unveiling of the Lord Jesus, the anointed one, And then there's a reference to another day of the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. So I think, you know, there's just, it's an ongoing process in my mind. God is forever faithful and can be trusted to do this in you. For he has invited you to co-share the life of his son, Jesus, the anointed one, our king. So it's an incredible verse. The whole, of course, book of, you know, first and second Corinthians, you just can't go wrong. Um, But I wanted to share the footnote and then expand on it here where it says eagerly awaiting the unveiling of the Lord Jesus, the anointed one. 
Brian Simmons footnote says you could say or eagerly accept or eagerly await. So you're, there's your waiting and you're accepting something. The Greek word ek dekomai is a compound word. Ek meaning out of or from and dekomai to accept or receive or take hold of. So I had to pursue this further and I looked it up and there's two words, you know, because one's a root word of another word. Technically, there's three words. But one of the definitions for ek dekomai is properly welcome from the heart. Properly welcome from the heart. So doesn't that sound different than just waiting until Jesus came back? That, that, mean, like it isn't, that means to me properly welcome the the tweaking you know properly welcome those moments where we have an opportunity to unveil and and it says to take or receive it's not just waiting for some event to take place it's not just waiting and say whoo roll the dice that day i hope i goes goes well you know and i i wonder what he's going to look like when he comes it's not that it's saying to take something receive something to receive I'm saying the unveiling of Jesus within us. Another word that's a version of the same word, dekomai, means, apo means away from, dekomai means welcome, and ekdesis means out of. It's a triple, triple compound, and its proper meaning would be welcome from out of. It's a waiting that decisively puts away all that should remain behind. Okay? So, again, it's not just waiting till somebody shows up one day, drops down out of the clouds. It's, it's a waiting and welcoming out of one place. I'm saying it's us. Us coming out of one place and putting away the old and receiving the new. Putting away what was not God's temple and receiving what is God's temple. The prefix of the word is to emphasize the idea of separation. Again, this, remember when we talked about how Jesus came with a plan to tear down an old system, to completely do away with your old system. Completely, that means there is going to be, our systems are going to be blown up. Remember how we talked about that? Like, we shouldn't be so surprised. It's going to be blown up. That the whole idea is going to break all of our laws, all of our rules, and everything. So it's an idea of coming out of that, actually separating from something. So the unveiling of Jesus Christ is actually a process of separating from something. So we should expect when we have those moments of correction and opportunities to unveil something is we're going to repent and walk away from something. We're going to leave, be separated from that. It says, therefore, it is used of looking completely away from this world and to the upcoming redemption of our body. Looking completely away from this world. So I just want to propose that there's, this word is used in several scriptures. And so when, we, when you see that in scripture about eagerly awaiting the unveiling, this is a, an active participant process for us, not just a someday reveal. 
I wanted to share just real quickly, the same word is used in Romans 8 when, you know, we love this verse around here. The entire universe is standing on tiptoe, yearning to see the unveiling of God's glorious sons and daughters. It's the same word. It's intense, in, intense anticipation. And the voice, it actually uses the verbiage for all of creation is waiting. That waiting is the same thing. It's the all of creation is waiting with to take from you, to receive the reveal of Jesus Christ. It's the same word. The footnote in uh, Brian Simmons' translation there for Romans 8.19 is really powerful. And it I won't read the whole thing, but it says that... Um, the created universe is but the backdrop for the dramatic appearing of God's sons and daughters, unveiled with the glory of Jesus Christ upon them. The verb tense in the Greek text is clear that this unveiling is imminent, soon to happen and destined to take place. Christ's glory will come to us, enter us, fill us, envelop us, and then be revealed through us as partakers of the glory. Again, I read this with all new eyes now with this idea that I've shared with you. Another verse that is pretty powerful to me, the same word is used in Hebrews eleven ten, where it's talking about Abraham and how he set out and followed God's will. And basically it says his eyes of faith, Abraham's eyes of faith were set on the city with unshakable foundations, whose architect and builder is God himself. Remember, this is the passage where it talks about how he was, um, what's the word he used? He was uh, a visitor, basically, in his own land. You know, his eyes of faith were set on the city. So now that we th I think about, it, again, he's looking ahead to someday. Someday this is going to be my city, right? But it's the same word. And the footnote here says that he, you could write this as he was continually receiving the city. He was continually receiving the city. This is a picture. What Abraham did was a picture of what I'm saying. We, we are continually receiving the unveiling of Jesus Christ. So um, there was a word I wrote back on June 27th called the beautiful refrain. In the interest of time, I won't read it right now, but I really encourage you to go back and look at it. And I know it's in our One Life notes, and it was an, a different imagery of this idea that the veil has been torn, but we've got these places where we look at the torn veil and we wonder if there's something we need to keep. Remember I said that the, there's all this generational stuff where we're confused by the thread that remains from the torn veil. And it's a really powerful word, in my opinion, that goes into this idea that of, of us saying yes to him over and over again and putting action behind our yes, just like he does. And remember that verse said that God is forever faithful, faithful and can be trusted to do this in you. It says, he will keep you steady and strong to the very end, making your character mature. That's an ongoing process that he's continually putting action behind his yes to us. And in that word, I talk about how I will do the same. I will do the same and put action behind my yes to him. And so it's in those moments of choices, we can either make choices to unveil another aspect of the temple 
another aspect of Jesus Christ on this earth can be revealed in us in these moments that she talked about. Or we can take another step towards disfiguration and dismemberment, right? So we will eagerly await. We will eagerly take and receive what's being offered to us in those moments. So Holy Spirit, I just thank you for this unveiling today, this unveiling to frame this teaching for us, to show us the importance of it, to connect it with our heart's passion. There are so many of us that are so hungry for the truth and the reality of Jesus Christ to be seen on earth. But how many times do we miss it when we are the ones that he is meant to be seen in, when the choice that seems completely disconnected from our desire for him to be revealed as true and real is completely disconnected in our minds from these, these I'm holding the fork wrong moments. And I thank you for connecting that. It's connected. So I thank you for making this, this a personal message today and that we would feel the weight of those moments when we have an opportunity to be corrected, to be tweaked, to see a different way and to separate ourselves from an old way that simply is hiding and covering the face of Jesus instead of revealing the more of him. So we just say, yes, yes, yes. And we say we are committed to putting action behind our yes in these moments and that we are eagerly awaiting and receiving from you every reveal that you bring to us. So thank you for making our hearts ready. You said our hearts have to be ready for every revealing. And so anything that comes to us, any reveal opportunity that comes to us means that we are ready that God has, knows our heart. He knows the thoughts and intentions of our heart. And that means he knows we're ready for that step. So I thank you, Papa. I thank you for this process. It is a joy and an honor and a privilege. And so we say yes to you. We love you. We love you, Holy Spirit. We love you, Papa God. We love you, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray always. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from One Life OK. For more information, please visit us at onelifeok.com.